Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome, guys and gals, to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We want to empower you, so we've created one of the premier lifestyle shows that brings you tools previously only available to elite high performers. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with everything here at The Art of Charm and get some great free content that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you like what you hear on the show, come hang with us on the blog where we get really in-depth on some of these topics and you can further engage with the Art of Charm team here as well. Or if you're new to the show and you wanna find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm, go to the website. We'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here on AOC. It'll include our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. We've also got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you wanna learn and grow. We're sold out five to six months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone, or just email me, jordan, at theartofcharm.com to get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my buddy Hal Elrod. We're gonna talk about his massive book success. He's got a crazy, money-making self-published book, which is kind of unheard of. We're gonna talk about how to engineer the content to become a part of your reader's life, how you launch for a, a huge effect and, and grow all the way through. He's Honestly, his book has been out for years and is now making more than it did at launch. He's made probably seven figures off this thing. And we're gonna talk about the ongoing marketing that you need to turn your book into a phenomenon and keep it that way. So enjoy this one with Hal Elrod. I want to talk about your your book becoming first of all like a ridiculous bestseller runaway hit that's making a ton of dough. Yeah. And you've got this sort of crazy lifestyle business that has and don't take that as an insult some people do and no. that has resulted from it that's kind of unheard of. I mean first of all tell us about the book for people who haven't heard the of you or or heard the first show that you did with us. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called The Miracle Morning. Uh, the subtitle is is lengthy. It's uh, the, the Not-So-Obvious Secret Guaranteed to Transform Your Life Before 8 a.m. And, uh, you know, the, the book when I wrote it, uh, original, well, the concept is something I came up with for my own life. It wasn't like I thought, hey, this would be a great book. It was, hey, I need to go to the next level in my life. And I'm kind of kind of at a plateau. Uh, it was really, it was a rock bottom. And I created this ritual uh, where I combined the best personal development practices known to man where a lot of the world's most successful people would do any one of these. But I thought, what would happen if I did all of them? And I'll rattle them off very quickly. Meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. What if I started every single day with a sequence of all six of those practices? And at that time, I, it was 2008, the US economy was, was really hurting. And um, within two months of doing this morning ritual, which didn't have a name, uh, I almost tripled my income. I, I more than doubled it, almost tripled it. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically, having been depressed and not exercised in six months, to going, you know what? What would be a way to challenge myself physically with this whole miracle morning thing? And uh, I decided to, I hate running, so I'll run a 52-mile ultra marathon to really have to become something more than I've ever been. And so that that happened. And then and just my life transformed so quickly, I started calling it my miracle morning. Uh, taught it to a coaching client, taught it to another one, and it just kind of spread. And I started to see really profound results in my life and other people's lives. And I had a light bulb. I went, wow, this is not just about me and my clients. This could literally change the world. If I can change the way people start every single day and they win the morning, they're going to win the day and their life's going to transform the way it has for for me and for all these other people. And so, you know, fast forward, it's, you know, two years since the book came out and it is just uh, escalating in terms of, uh, you know, sales, more and more people every month are, are finding it and buying it. And uh, it's, you know, we're right at 972 reviews on Amazon as of this morning. Um, and then Jordan, this is pretty cool. This is actually, I think I'm debuting this information on the show. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki interviewed me two days ago, you know, rich dad, poor dad author. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't, you know, I was, I was stoked to be on his show almost as stoked as when I got on your show for the first time. Good. But, uh, we, but you know, so I was excited that he was going to interview me. Well, I had no idea. Dude, he, he started going off to his listeners saying, I've read The Miracle Morning three times. It's completely changed my life. I'm on day 60. I haven't missed a day. Wow. That's a huge endorsement. Is that crazy? And I'm just like, so anyway, so um, and then, you know, of course, I'm like, Robert, will you please send me something for my book? And he sent me like this page long endorsement about it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, anyway, so yeah, so The Miracle Morning is really becoming this worldwide movement. And so to really tie into the topic of the show today, at, uh, you know, I, I don't know when it was, probably a year ago, I started to just, you know, see the income coming in and I saw the impact it was making. And I just, I got really clear, this is my mission in life is to change millions of lives with the Miracle Morning because there's nothing I've ever done or taught or created that's ever impacted people so profoundly. And that's when I started analyzing why is this book doing what it's doing? What's creating this word of mouth buzz? Why are people calling me and ordering 50, 100 copies for their clients and their employees and this and that? Why are the sales increasing every month? What, you know, what, what about it? So I've really kind of spent the last year, my part-time job is analyzing what has made the Miracle Morning so successful and, and, and to create this movement, this income, et cetera. And, and that's kind of where you know I, I talked to you about this uh, beyond the bestseller concept and I think that kind of brings us up to today. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I know you're really excited to share some of this information because the last time you booked a show, 
we were supposed to do this a couple of months ago, but you booked it over your anniversary. So, you know. <laughs> My wedding anniversary. Yes. Which I, I don't know when that thing is, you know. I, apparently not. Apparently you don't. But, yeah. hey, here we are now, which is great. So, take us through this because it's pretty rare that book sales increase over time, is it not? I mean, it seems like you have this launch and then everything after that is word of mouth, kind of gravy, and then bookstores stop carrying it and because it's not as popular, and then you can order it off Amazon, and then the book slowly dies a painful or painless yeah. death, quiet death anyway, unless it's so popular that it goes into reprint. Yeah, you get those classics like Think and Grow Rich or Four Hour Work Week, or you know, that, and that's really what you you ultimately want. Right, I think but, in a book is or the author's like, oh man, you know that did so well. How do I relaunch the same thing? Oh, I'm going to add a chapter. <laughs> you know, and then they do that and they're like, second edition. And it's like they edit some bad science and take out some stuff they got called out on and remove some of the stuff that makes less sense or whatever and add a chapter. And it's like suddenly it's a whole new book. Right. Nice. But that's you just gave me my strategy for the next 12 months. I well, then why am I talking <laughs> to you about your strategy? For God's sake, all like fluff and back padding aside, it's a great book. But like, how come your sales are still growing? That's kind of nuts. Yeah, I mean, I think, so there's really three elements to that. Again, this comes from my kind of analysis, if you will. Um, there, there's really three elements to to going beyond the bestseller. And, and actually, before I fully answer your question, let me just say this. I think that there has become an overemphasis in the book industry on hitting a bestseller list as yes. a primary goal, right? And if you're listening to this right now, consider this. Hitting the bestseller list, for the most part, it's pretty limited in value for many reasons. Number one, Short-term placement on a bestseller list doesn't necessarily make you a significant amount of money, nor does it impact a significant amount of lives. And I would think that those are the two ideal objectives for every author, right? Is you want to earn a great income, create ideally a passive income that could support you and allow you to retire and you know hang out at the beach all day, whatever. And then number two, you want to impact a lot of people with your work. And most books don't really do that. So there's really three elements to going beyond the bestseller and writing a book that creates a movement that earns you a fortune and that changes the world. And it's the content, right? What, how do you strategically engineer your book's content in a way that it will continue to perpetuate the marketing? Almost it'll, it'll become a word of mouth phenomenon. So how do you engineer the content to do that? The second component in going beyond the bestseller is the launch, right? How do you launch your book so that you get huge momentum in the beginning? And that, you know, of course, obviously makes a difference in the ripple effect down the road. And then the third element of going beyond the bestseller is ongoing marketing. And so uh, we can go kind of sequentially if you want. We'll talk about what do you want to do to the content? What do you want to do with your launch? And and then what's the key to ongoing marketing to ensure that, you know, two years later, you're having your best month in sales? Yeah, I think that's great because this is kind of the opposite of how most books launch. They usually launch huge, right? Like we said, and then yeah. slowly decline yours is doing the opposite of that. And part of it's the content, but part of it is the strategy. I mean, a lot of it's the strategy and your community's massively engaged, which is also because of the content as well. Yeah. So Yeah, so here's what I'm gonna do for everybody. I'm going to lead with my number one tip. Like the, if, if this is all you get from the entire interview, instead of saving the best for last, I'm gonna lead with this. The number one most important component of, of writing a book that becomes a movement is to and you, this is what you want to write down, center your content around changing behavior. Center your content around changing behavior. If you think about it, most books simply get you to think differently, right? It's short-term value by getting you to think a little differently. You feel good. You're thinking differently about what's possible for you, for your life, your business. Although the change in thinking can last, most readers 
the newfound thought patterns are interrupted or diluted and forgotten as soon as they go to the next book, right? You know, they put that book away and they you forget. And I think all of us can relate to that. You read a book, you love it. Maybe you tell a few friends while you're reading it. But if I asked you a month later what the book was about, you've forgotten like 90% of the content and you probably didn't implement any of it. But if your book adds long-term value by changing a person's behavior, and ideally their daily behavior, something they do every day, then they'll never forget it and they'll continue to share it with others. And now by default, that's what the Miracle Morning is. So it's kind of an unfair advantage. You know, the first question you might be thinking or people ask me if I'm talking about this concept is they're like, well, but yeah, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you change daily behavior for somebody? You know, if you're the Miracle Morning, uh, yeah, that's a routine they do every day. They're obviously it by default changes their behavior. Well, the answer is is almost too obvious, which is how do you center your content around changing behavior? You create a ritual around whatever your content is. That's great because your content is largely that. Yeah, my content is behavior change, right? I mean, it's changing people's behavior. The Miracle Morning is. It's a right. daily behavior change. But you can create a ritual around whatever your content is. Um, and, and in fact, I can even take components of Miracle Morning, you know, like affirmations, for example. You can create a daily affirmation that reinforces the, the main points of your content that your, uh, you know, your reader recites every single day. And now they're getting value from, from that, right? You could have an audio that they listen to every day that you could have. I mean, you can have really, if you could have a journaling practice, like great example is, uh, the book, The Artist's Way. Um, can't think of it. Was it Julie? What's that gal's name? Uh, you don't know. Did I put you on the spot there? It's, uh, Julia Cameron. Oh, you're good. You probably Googled it. I did. But, <laughs> nice. I know. I was, I was too slow right there. But so yeah, Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way. I mean, that, that, that book is, I believe, sold millions of copies. And, uh, she has a practice in there called Morning Pages. And that's, you know, I've seen people in her community. They, they swear by that practice. They do it every single day. And of course, her one time book, because there was a daily ritual around it, now it's adding value exponentially and indefinitely, right? It could be something that 20 years from now, someone's doing their morning pages and they, you know, it comes up in conversation. Whereas if your book didn't change behavior, change something they did every day, right? The, the odds of them remembering to recommend your book, you know, 20 days, let alone 20, you know, years uh, later isn't very likely. So that's the first, that's the first and the biggest key is to center your content around behavior change and ideally something people do each day that reinforces the, the content that you're teaching to them. Yeah, I, I think it's great because you had that built in, right? And the ritual part was already built yeah. into the content. So I'm wondering how this applies to somebody who doesn't have that. How would you structure that? How would you go, okay, if say my book is about healthy family recipes for households with young kids, how do I then create a ritual around that? Whereas your book is like, here's a ritual for your morning stuff. I don't want to constrain the content that I'm writing sure. just to make sure my book sells. That would be a problem if I'm a baker, right? Yeah. Or a cook, chef. So, so I, so obviously if people are cooking every day, right? What ritual could you put into, in place that they do when they cook to, it could be literally going back to a meditation or affirmations or some form, something they do before they cook. And, and, and obviously your content would be, selling them on the value of doing that practice. It might be a daily thing where they're just, you know, it's it's like every morning they they spend 30 minutes planning out their meals for the family or maybe it's something that they involve the family in, right? If you're doing something where let's say it's a relationship book like how to have great relationships, well, you could create a daily 
you know, practice, whether it's morning or evening, where you journal with your wife, you, you, you talk about or write down the things that you're grateful for. I think that if you can have people do things in writing, obviously, there's, there's more to that because it solidifies it. And here's another example. Um, here's another example of how to write a book that, that earns you more money. Uh, I created the Miracle Morning Journal to kind of accompany the Miracle Morning book. And for every 10 books I sell, you know, I sell a journal, right? So sell a thousand books in a month, uh, sell a hundred journals and, and so on and so forth. So that's a way where people are, you know, they're, they're taking my content and they're now actually writing it down as part of the practice. So you could create your own journal, your workbook or a 30 day challenge. It's another great example. Whatever you're teaching people, right? You have a 30 day challenge where, and this gets into something we'll talk about in a few minutes, but in the Miracle Morning, there's a 30-day challenge and talks about the psychology of why it takes 30 days to implement a new habit. And then they have some downloads where they can download the 30-day challenge fast start kit. And that's got documents where they're writing out, you know, what their their goals are and, and why they want to accomplish those and the activities. Basically, they're getting clear on why are they doing the Miracle Morning. Well, it has a 30-day tracker where every day that they do the Miracle Morning in each of the six practices, right, they check off a box, they keep track of their progress. So your content, you could have a 30-day healthy cooking challenge for your family where there's planning the recipes and then each day you're keeping track of your progress and at the end of the week, you're evaluating how the week went. Maybe you're meeting with your family because ultimately the book is more than about the food that you put in your body. Maybe it's also including that relational time with your family. And, you know, so I'm, I'm obviously we're making stuff up in terms of the content. Right, right. But you're, I'm just trying to throw out as many examples as you, you just, you got to get creative, right? It ultimately is up to you to figure out what's a ritual. What can you have people write down every day or read every day or share with someone else every day that reinforces your content and makes it a behavior change? Excellent. Basically, you can create the ritual around anything that you're, that you're writing about. You just have to get creative with it. Yeah, it's, it's, and like I said, the simplest way to break it down is something that they read every day, like an affirmation that reinforces your content, something that they write every day, like a journaling process, like, you know, Julia Cameron did with uh, morning pages for her book, The Artist's Way. So something they read, something they write, something they say, something they, you know, they do, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then that tracking sheet component, I think is really great too. And, and again, one of the side benefits is you're collect, you're building your database, which we'll talk more about in a few minutes, uh, with having people opt in to get the bonuses, uh, one of them being the 30-day tracking sheet. But basically, that means that they're giving it 30 days, they're committing for 30 days, and so that increases the likelihood that the behavior change will stick, as opposed to saying, hey, give this a shot and see what happens. All right, that's great. Yeah, I think you're right, because it's easy to, to read something and get fired up for a minute, do it for a few days, maybe, but if you create the ritual and the ritual sticks, then it's linked to your content, period. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So the second key to the content is build paying it forward into your book. Build paying it forward into your book. Uh, and what I mean by that is, right, if you want your book to go viral, you should plant this, those seeds about sharing the book and how to share the book and why to share the book and who to share the book with. You know, you can also uh, share a story of, you know, someone that gave you a book or somehow someone that added value to your life. And rather than paying the value back to that person, back to the source, you paid it forward to somebody else and then you saw it impact their life. Then they paid it forward. So, you know, we've all had times in our lives where somebody did something for us. It helped us. It added value. And then we went and, you know, somehow we're able to pay that forward and help somebody else. So, you know, I, I built that content into the book. Another element of that is 
in the Miracle Morning, I talked about one of the causes of mediocrity in our lives is a lack of accountability, not having someone else that we're leveraging our integrity with to follow through on the things that are important to us. If we're just counting on ourselves, you know, we all know it's really easy to let ourselves down. So I actually talked about the value of accountability in my book. Now, anybody can talk about the value of accountability in their book. And then I encourage people to, hey, get an accountability partner. And I gave him some tips on how to do that. I said, join our Facebook community, the Miracle Morning community on Facebook. Join the community and, you know, and put a post in there that you're looking for an accountability partner and let them know your time zone and, and find somebody that way. Uh, or you can go to a family, a friend, a colleague member, let them borrow your book. Or you can send them to MiracleMorning.com so they can listen to the free audio, the free video training, get the free chapters. And that way they can immediately be up to speed on why you want them as your accountability partner and what's in it for them to do this with you. So I put that in the book. And again, that's another kind of embedded, you know, element of building the my community, building my subscriber list, uh, and, and also getting the message to spread. Excellent. Okay. Very cool. And, and I think that's really, that. how crucial would you say that is in terms of keeping people engaged? Because honestly spoken, most people, like I said, read something and then forget about it. Your group of fans is enormous and continues to grow. So... Do you think that it's rubbing off because their friends go, wait a minute, you got up at 5.30 a.m. and did this and this and this and this and this, and then they ask why, and then it leads to additional sales of the book? I mean, is that is that the idea? Yeah, but I mean, I think that, yeah, the biggest thing is it's adding significant value to their life every single day, and so it's coming up in conversation. I mean, first and foremost, their friends and family notice the miracle morning because they're like, dude, why are you getting up at 5 a.m.? Come back to bed. They're like, no, I'm reading this book and I'm going to change my life, right? But I think that there's no way for me to track this and have statistics on it. But all I know is I talk in the book about paying it forward. I talk about the mission to, you know, change millions of lives with the miracle morning. I, I, you know, I try to not talk about it in a, in a, you know, pushy or salesy way. Like you have to share this with somebody, you know, to, I try to make it real, you know, non aggressive. But all I know is that the results that are happening, I, I can't say that all the, the only reason that people are buying the book in droves for gifts for other people is because I planted the seed to do that, to pay it forward. But I mean, that is happening at a very high level. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. I mean, people are constantly giving the book away. You gave me a few to give away, which I did. But I noticed online, people are like, I gave three copies away this month or week or whatever. And I've, yeah. you rarely see that. You really yeah, yeah. I mean, I have readers that like in our Miracle Morning community Facebook group, they're like, it's pay it forward Friday, everybody. Who are you giving the Miracle Morning? This is, you know, this is a woman named Sally Hayden out in the UK. And every Friday she makes sure to give away at least three copies of the Miracle Morning That's <laughs> to insane. whoever, just random stranger. Yeah. So she bought like a hundred copies of the book. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually, I did the other day. Yeah. Here, here's a neat example. Um, I, I've been in talks with publishers about, about kind of taking the book mainstream uh, in terms of publishing. Uh, and I was asked by my agent, she said, hey, can you anything you can do to kind of drum up some, you know, drive some sales and boost interest, you know, right now? And I was like, uh, sure, I'll try. So I did a little first time ever. I went into my Miracle Morning, the Facebook group, the community. I just said, hey, everybody, we're going to do a pay it forward special. I'm going to discount the price of the Kindle today from $9.99 down to $2.99. And here's how you buy copies for other people if you want to pay it forward. Now, Jordan. All I did was one post in my community. I didn't email my lit, nothing, just the Facebook group. We went from averaging 42 Kindle sales a day for the last 30 days, right? We sold 1,200 Kindles in the last 30 days. The first day that I put this in the community, we went from 42 sales to 270 Kindles. The next day, we went from 270 Kindles to 480 Kindles. 
That's so, ridiculous. Yeah, it that's was great. Yeah, my agent couldn't believe it. She's like, I've never seen that kind of response. Yeah. So anyway, but that that's that pay it forward, you know, element. Wow. So how do we build that in? If again, I'm a baker. How do I engage with the pay it forward? You know, who do you know that has young kids? Are they healthy or are they eating crap like everyone else? Give them one of our recipes. The way that I did it in in the Miracle Morning is I, like I said, it was I tried to be you know as artful as I could be, and I first I educated people on the value of paying it forward, of accountability, you know, those couple of elements. I, I talked about the value of that. So that was actually the content, right? It was going, wow, yeah, if, if something helps me, I should help, I should pay it forward and share it with somebody else. And then it helps them. And then, then they appreciate, I talk about in the book, there's a quote, I just say, the more value that you add to the lives of other people, the more valuable you become. And I talk about how I, I try to always add more value as much as I possibly can. And one of the ways I do that is I give books to people that have changed my life. And then it changes their life. And then, of course, they attribute that change in their life back to me because I was able to help them. You know, I talk about you can be selfishly selfless, <laughs> you know, if, if that helps you where you go, you know, what? If knowing that the more you give, the more it's going to help you. So anyway, those are just a couple examples telling stories of how I pay it forward and have shared with other people, getting the reader to think about times where someone's done something for them that they have helped someone else with including stories, including the teaching of the value of accountability in your book, the value of repetition, you know, all of these things you want to educate them on before you then ask them to do anything or even suggest it. So first I'm educating them on the value of accountability. And then I'm saying, hey, you know, I would encourage you to get an accountability partner. And here's how you can do that. Like I said, and then I give them the ways they can do that. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love 
creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Now back to Hal Elrod. Now that we've got the, the content engineered to be essentially self-supporting and ritualistic, how do we launch then? This is gonna be some of the meat here because a lot of people are are gonna be launching books. And you know, the, the standard advice is like, give out a bunch of copies to your friends so they can do the Amazon reviews like on launch day, get a lot of pre-orders so that that launch day hits really hard. Um, make sure you're mailing to your list and posting on blogs and getting other people to do the same. But we're, everyone's doing that. Not everybody's making a crap ton of money and making a crap ton of sales on their book. So sure. what's the deal? So first and foremost, um, I would encourage you, well, let me actually start with the foundation, which this is probably common, but it, it can't go without saying right. that is that you do have to start building your platform now. You know, don't wait until the book comes out to start figuring that out. Um, for me, you know, I learned this from Dan Kennedy. He said the most valuable asset you'll ever have is your email list. You know, I don't know if that stands true, but it's, it's ultimately your, your community, right? So start building your community now. Uh, one of the easiest ways for me, before I even wrote the book, I recorded a 60 minute audio on a free conference call, you know, line where it didn't cost me anything. I just outlined an, an audio for the, the content of my book. And then I recorded that audio. I had a friend interview me and I put up an opt-in page for people to download that audio. And that audio went viral. That's actually what kind of prompted me to write The Miracle Morning. See, some of what I'm sharing, by the way, was intentional. I like, I strategically planned some of this, uh, but I would say probably 50% of what I'm teaching you right now is looking back going, oh, that worked. <laughs> that I'm oh I'm glad I did that. I didn't even know what I was doing, but but so I did this and what happened is before the book was even written, before the first word of the book was written, I already had hundreds and then thousands and then over 10,000 opt-ins to get the audio that taught people the miracle morning. So I had thousands of people around the world doing the miracle morning before it was ever a book. So not to mention, they were all on my email list, which I could continue to add value. And then when the book came out, they were chomping at the bit. They were excited because the only all they had was this one hour audio that taught them how to do the practice. So I would encourage you to, you know, either you could just get on it and write the first couple chapters of your book and get those for free. And if anybody wants to model, you go to miraclemorning.com. That's that page where people can opt in for the free audio training, a video training and the first few chapters of the book. Um, it's also when I, in the book, when I tell people to pay it forward, I say, look, if you want to loan your book to somebody else, great. If you're still reading your book and you want them to kind of get started, you know, whether you give them a book or the easiest, fastest way is just send them the link to miraclemorning.com and they can get started right away. So 
you can make that as a resource for the book. But before the book, you want to start building your platform. Now, I do want to mention something that's not often talked about, and that is that you want to start collecting physical mailing addresses. Now, I'm not saying this is a must, but I am saying that email is becoming less effective every single day, right? Gmail came out with their promotions folder. Now, all of a sudden, all your Gmail users, often when you email them a group email, everybody with Gmail, they, they don't see it. It goes in promotions. And I think the majority of people don't even look in there. So email with it, you know, the effectiveness is not certain for the future. Um, start building your physical mailing list. It's just something you want to, you know, don't stress about it right now, but at least keep it in the back of your mind. Uh, and in some ways that people will do that is they'll have their email opt-in. And then the next page, the thank you page says, hey, if you'd like to have this as a physical CD, just put in your address and I'll ship it to you, right? And then that, you know, puts their their physical mailing address into your uh, your system. So that's the first thing is just starting to build your platform. You you know the best time to start was yesterday. The next best time to start is is today. Yeah, I, I think that's something a lot of people overlook is they're working on this book, they've got this great idea, and then as that sort of emerges, they're like, this book is going to make me a thought leader in this area. It happens the other way around, and. A lot of people ask me why The Art of Charm doesn't have a book yet as of 2015 here. And the <laughs> answer is because I don't need it to become a thought leader, right? We already have a lot of cred. And yeah. anything we launch in the future is only going to have that much larger of an advance or that much more of an impact or get much, that much more resources from the publisher behind it because of the size of the platform, which is continually growing. Right. Yeah, yep. So we're, that makes a lot of sense. We're positioned really well for that. Now, at this point, it's more a matter of my bandwidth, but I think for and, and of the writing team and things like that. But there's no reason to it, it's like those people who say, I'm going to start networking and building relationships as soon as my website's done or as soon as my prototype product is done or as soon as I've got this handled. And you need to dig your well before you're thirsty, because if you try to launch a book and then suddenly you're no offense, of course, but nobody, you're an unknown quantity reaching out to all these other thought leaders and you're saying, hey, this is gonna be, even if you know these people, hey, this is gonna be really great, I'm writing a book, well, how do I know it's gonna be really great? You have no proven market for anything that you've done so far. Yeah. But if you yeah. have that already, you, first of all, your own platform will obviously buy the heck out of whatever you create. However, influencers can go, all right, I'm gonna promote Hal or I'm gonna promote Jordan because the other things that he's created have been runaway success. And so it's worked. On a important note, whether you self-publish or go after a traditional publisher, what you just talked about is a reason to kind of decide which of those routes to go. And that is that if you don't have a major platform, you have almost no leverage and you'll give up a hell of a lot more than you'll gain by going with a major publisher. And that's why I really looked deep into that initially. I researched it. I actually wrote, I spent like six months writing this hardcore proposal. I hired like the best proposal writer in the country who writes these million dollar proposals, you know, and I decided, you know what? Why am I going to go begging a publisher to give me a chance? I believe in my concept. I know I'm willing to put in the effort. I'm going to go prove the miracle morning in the marketplace. And then once it makes sense where publishers are coming knocking on my door, then I'll consider, you know, whether or not it makes sense to, to go with a major publisher, but then I'll have leverage. It's not, hey, here's an idea. I, you know, I'm a nobody. It's, hey, I've sold, you know, 70,000 copies of the miracle morning and, uh, you know, and here and it's growing every month. You can see our sales track record. And do, do you want a piece of the action kind of thing that I don't mean to right. be like cocky, but, you know, versus like, hey, 
No, mm. it's true though, right? Like, no, trust me, it's gonna be great, said everyone about everything they've ever made that's never made <laughs> any money, right? That's exactly, no, that's exactly it. So, a couple more tips on launch. Um, number two, create a community. And this kind of goes along with building your platform, but once you have a tribe of individuals that are implementing the value they've extracted from your book, and they're practicing their new ritual every day, they will want to connect with like-minded individuals, right? They're gonna want to have support and accountability and share ideas, so you've gotta give them a place to do that. And in terms of where, by the way, this was like an 11th hour thing. I didn't even think of this, and then my buddy was like, do you have a community where Miracle Morning people can connect because they're up by themselves at 5 a.m., you know? I was <laughs> right. like, no, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll you know, I'll call my web guy and create it. He goes, why don't you put it on Facebook? Because People are already logging in there every day. They're going to get notifications. Don't give them somewhere else to have to log into. And I'm so glad I listened to his advice. Uh, the Miracle Morning community, when I launched it, was like me and you know my family members and close friends, like 20 people. And now we're at 15,000 members and it grows wow. by about 100 every day. And it's, it's the most engaged online community that I've ever seen. But um, so I encourage people to, to do Facebook. Again, they're already a Facebook group. So if you don't know how to do that, Google how to start a Facebook group. Um, they're already logging into Facebook every day, right? It's got the built-in functionality of the Facebook groups, which there's a lot of pros to that. Um, other people on Facebook will stumble across your community and they can easily share your content on their pages, right? So, so that's, you know, those are some of the reasons uh, to do that. And let me give you an important tip. I encourage you to, your first post, if you're not familiar with a Facebook group, right, the, you can pin a post, meaning you can pick one post and make it the very top post always at the top. And another friend gave me this advice. She said, why don't you put a post in there that says, where did you hear about the Miracle Morning so that I could track what was working in my marketing efforts? And number two, where do you live so that I could track how far the Miracle Morning was spreading? And I'm so grateful that, again, my smart friends, right, uh, but that post has 1,700 comments on it. So I have a really good sampling wow. of what of my marketing is working and where people are all around the world that are hearing about the Miracle Morning. Right? So about over 10% of the community has, has kind of filled out the survey, if you will, on that post. That's very impressive. That's really cool. Not only do you have that massive resource of pretty good data, but you have a massive response rate. I think most companies that survey audiences and stuff like that have like a fraction of 1% and they try to extrapolate from there. Ooh, yeah, that's a great point. I never even thought about that, that comparison. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty responsive, you know, responsive group. These are the top people inside your community that are the ones you want more of. And yeah. so it stands to reason you might find more of those people in those same places. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and just to be clear, too, in the book, in the Miracle Morning book, in the beginning, there's a big text box, you know, fancy looking. It stands out visually. It says a special invitation. And then it talks about the purpose of the community and, and gives the, the URL. You know, it's a short link. It's a mytmmcommunity.com and that people can go join. So, I mean, that's where, you know, again, the book is driving not only my opt-ins for people that want the bonuses that are offered in the book. It's also driving the signups for the community. Yes. Awesome. Great. And then. Third tip on the launch is assemble a launch team. Uh, and I got this tip from an excellent article written by Michael Hyatt on how to create a best-selling book. And if you're, you know, if you, I encourage everybody to read that article. It's great. Just Google Michael Hyatt bestseller. Um, but uh, what you want to do, and, and I'm doing this for, I do this for all of my books. I have a new book coming out, The Miracle Morning for Salespeople. And we just, I put up the launch team application in, in, again, only in the Miracle Morning community. And we have, I think we have 88 applications in the first three days, people that want to be on the launch team. 
And uh, what you want to do is you want to create a, you know, an application, like I said, make it an application process, tell them it's limited to only, you know, whatever you want, 20, I limit it to 100 people, uh, typically the first 100 to apply. So it creates a little bit of urgency. So we're getting on it, you know, trying to, to get one of those spots. But you want to create an application that gives the team benefits, the team requirements, right? So if you're a team member, what are the benefits, you're going to get a copy of the book in advance, a PDF copy before it comes out. Now, by the way, the reason you're doing a launch team is to, for a couple things. Number one is to start sharing the link to your free chapters. So when people sign up for the application to be on the launch team and it tells them the requirements, one thing they have to do is, you know, they have to post Facebook and Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn and uh, Google Plus. They've got to post on their social media uh, links that I ask them to post. And the biggest one is, you know, here you can get two free chapters of the Hal Elrod's new book at blankety blank link. So we've got all these people doing that. The other thing they have to do, though, is they've got to write reviews. So they're going to get the book in advance. And before your book actually officially launches on your launch date, you want to have these pre-readers, your launch team, they read the PDF in advance. And then, you know, a few days or a week before the book comes out, you have them write their review. Now, I would encourage you, and this I learned this the hard way, right? I had all these people read my book, and then you don't tell them to write a five-star review. You say, go write an honest review, right? Um, and obviously, if they're on your launch team, they probably are fans of yours and probably won't write a one-star review, you'd hope. Right. But what I would encourage you to do is spread the reviews out over like seven days. And the reason is, even though the reviews are authentic, they're, you know, the first ever one-star review I had said, this looks like a scam. All of his reviews were on the same day, the first 30 or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, because I had all these people read the book and write the review on the same day. Yeah, you know? I don't know why people insist on being like, look how smart I am. I busted you. I, it, it's funny you should say that. I wish people have a happy birthday on Facebook and I engage my community if they're people who I rarely speak with that just follow me somewhere. And one guy was like, busted, this is automated. And I'm like, it's not automated. Just because they said happy birthday two years in a row, you think it's fake? Like, <laughs> what kind of weirdo are you, you know? And it's... It's just like, especially because in the note it says, this is not automated, you know, FYI, love to hear from you. Uh, and people will do that. They'll be like, I caught you on something because they literally have nothing else to do and they don't want to read the book and judge the content on its own merit. So I also understand spreading it out over a week. Is there another reason you would advise people to do that just so it no, looks more yeah. real? I mean, yeah, I mean, just to give the haters less ammunition, you know what I mean? Because I've seen that in a lot of books or, you know, you see the negative reviews and a lot of them will say that, that all these reviews came on this day or whatever. And so, yeah, so I've just, I've seen it multiple times. So it's just kind of like a bonus tip. I don't think it's crucial. If you have them all do the same day, no big deal, you know? Yeah, but, um, I think it's, it's, just, it's probably okay to do it the same day, but you might as well spread them out over the week if you're gonna avoid that. Because I think people then, not only, of course, are you gonna get those one-star reviews, but you're also gonna get people going, oh, he just gave copies of his books to all of his friends to write these reviews. Mm. So I'm gonna be the hero here and out you on that and just make you look dumb for no reason other than I'm bored at home. And, you know, spreading it out over seven days, though, does that not hurt your Amazon sales rank because it makes the spike, it spreads out that spike? Or what does that do your sales rank? Yeah, so I think, it, it, I don't think the reviews affect your sales rank. You know, buying on the same day obviously helps the al Amazon algorithms and nobody actually, you know, I don't think anyone actually knows the algorithms and exactly how they work, but for sure, Amazon likes reviews. They like sales, you know, they give you, you know, better placement when that happens. And doing pre-orders, you can do pre-orders on Kindle now, you know, in terms of having a big launch, 
I personally called every single one of my clients. Like you basically created launch specials and you can model, you know, Tim Ferriss did this for uh, Four Hour Body and probably all of his books, you know, at least since Four Hour Workweek. Uh, and that is that you create all these incentives for people to buy the book in the very beginning. And that way, it, you know, Amazon takes notice and they start showing you with other books and, and that sort of thing. So ongoing marketing, and, and this is really where a movement is created. For the most part, most books aren't runaway bestsellers right out the gate. Miracle Morning, month one, we sold 1,400 copies. Uh, actually, technically, we sold 6,400 copies, but I ran 5,000 of those were pre-orders, and I didn't actually run them through Amazon. I ran them through the back end, so I just shipped the books from my printer to the people that bought large quantities because someone warned me that Amazon would red flag me if we were entering all the orders in at once, and so I just completely skipped Amazon for that. I'm not suggesting that you do that, you know, um, but uh, but that, that's what happened for us. I just want to get, share these numbers to give you a perspective on how important important what I'm about to share with you is the ongoing marketing. In December of 2012, the year Miracle Morning published, we sold 1,400 copies on Amazon. December of 2014, we sold 7,000 copies on Amazon. Wow. So yeah, I mean, if you look at that, that's and obviously that has nothing to do with the launch. It definitely has to do with the content, right? All of the elements we've talked about so far in the way I engineered the content. But I would say that it's half content or, I mean, that's the foundation, but it's really the ongoing marketing efforts. And again, I'll lead with my best tip here. Podcast interviews. Jordan, I, I'm familiar with the, the whole Vaguely. author interviews on podcast. Yeah. Vaguely. You've interviewed a few authors in your day. So podcasts are the new talk shows. You know, I mean, that really is it. And and, and by the way, I've done a, a good amount of television and I paid, you know, I paid 7,500 bucks to kind of do speed dating with uh, television show producers. And I got on a couple national shows, a lot of local shows. Yeah. So being on TV barely moved the needle, but podcast interviews significantly moved the needle. Like I said, kind of the new talk show. And I'm not sure who the Oprah of podcasting is yet, but I think I'm talking to him. Um, I'll let you know when I find out. But uh, in fact, I think, didn't you say that Tim Ferriss, right? Is that public information that Tim, your podcast had a bigger impact for him than yeah. uh, being on a major television show? It did, yeah. The Art of Charm sold more books for Tim Ferriss than MSNBC and the Today Show put together. So there you go. So I just did, in fact, I, well, let's just say today, I believe this episode we're doing right now is my 160-something podcast interview in the last two and a half years. So I've done over 160 podcast interviews and that's, you know, I told you in the Miracle Morning community, the Facebook group where I ask where people heard about the Miracle Morning. I haven't added it up. I should have my assistant do this. I think I will now, but the majority of them are heard you on this podcast, heard you on the Art of Charm, heard you on Smart Passive Income, heard you on Entrepreneur on Fire, heard you. And a lot of them are heard you on blank, blank podcast, which is a small, tiny podcast. You know, it's, it's not a big major podcast. But for me, I, you just you never know when the person listening to any of your podcasts is going to be the person that's going to, you know, have a big mouth and pay it forward and buy a ton of books. So, you know, I, I've, I've had friends that say you should only do podcasts that have a certain, you know, listenership. And up until now, uh, for two reasons. Number one, I just said, which is I'll, I'll do just about any podcast just to find, uh, you know, the, the, who knows who it's going to reach. But number two, I'm a podcaster and I almost do it from a place of trying to be selfless and, and, and help and just knowing that if I was a new podcaster and I reached out to an author, I would hope that he would be cool enough to give me the time of day and, and do my show. So that, that, that's another reason that I, that I do that. Jordan, I don't know if this is an appropriate time for, I don't know if you have any tips on how to get on podcasts. I mean, I can, you know, I can share what I do, but you're, you're approached by you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people I'm sure that want to be on your show. 
Now, back to Hal Elrod. Yeah, this is a really interesting question that people don't ask nearly as much as, frankly, they should. Uh, most people will do the following. They try to pitch, and they write things like, hey, uh, I would love to be on your show. I got a new book coming out. And I'm like, I don't know you. I mean, that's my <laughs> first thought is, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you would like to be on the show. And I know that sounds arrogant, but when you get it like five times a day, you just, sure. you know, I don't even see these pitches anymore because my assistant will just archive it most of the time uh, and it. ignore it. The, the reason is, one, you should try to get a warm intro. Uh, from somebody mm -hmm. that knows me, a former guest is a good place to go. You know, if, if you know the author of the book and you're like, this is great, and you introduce me to somebody, they've got like a hundred times better chance of getting a slot on The Art of Charm. If they write something like, hey, I do this, would this be of interest to your audience? I'll probably see that too. But the mm -hmm. second somebody comes on and leads with whatever they want, uh, yeah. that's bad. And if they come on and they start talking about their book, I already know that this is just a, a, a lame-o pitch. In fact, one of the worst pitches I got recently, which is ironically from some sort of like networking coach or whatever, he emails me himself with, with no intro, which I thought was strange, and he writes, hey, I'd love to be on your show. Here's my book. It's attached. And I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to read this. Are you kidding me? I, I, Even if I were an avid voracious reader, which I'm not, just because my attention span is that of a, of a young squirrel. Yeah. I can't read all the books that I'm getting from legit authors, from publishers that I've already requested for the show. I can't even get through those. So I'm certainly not reading your 8,000 page PDF that you want me to read for my show. Yeah. Like that's immediate deletion. And then he followed up a week later, which most people don't do, so props to him for following up. And he was <laughs> like, yeah, I just I wanted to know if you got the book. And I replied, I was like, yeah, I just I didn't look at it. Frankly, I don't have time. <laughs> Just, you know, not trying to be a jerk about it, but being, being like, honest. oh, you, you know, you don't know that. So I'll tell you, I didn't look at it. I don't have time and I don't know you. I literally wrote that because that's <laughs> how I roll, I guess. And he was like, oh, no problem. Anyway, I'd love to be on your show. The book is about this. And he wrote like one sentence. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. What would you teach an audience is what you need to be thinking about. Because I don't yeah. want to just like, you know, blatantly reject people like, sorry, sucker, you're not cool enough for this podcast. That's not my style. So I asked him what he would teach. And he goes, he literally wrote back. And this was more of a rhetorical thing. Like, you should be thinking about this when you pitch. He wrote back, yeah, I don't care. I can talk about anything as long as I get to mention <laughs> my book. And I was like... Are you kidding me? You literally wow. just said, I don't care what, what I hear when people say that, I can talk about anything, is I don't care what we even talk about, because that's, I'm not gonna put any effort into that, I'm not gonna think about that at all, the value for your audience is minimal in my mind, um, I'm not concerned about that at all, all I want is to advertise for free on your show. And I was yep. just like, I just deleted it immediately from that point on, I thought, wow, you don't get it to the point where I'm, actually turned off by even talking with this person. Sure. You know, it's so selfish and so self-centered that aggravated me. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot of nice people out there who write pitches like that all the time. Yeah, well, they just don't know. Yeah, they just don't know any better. I mean, I, I can look back. You know, we all have blind spots. And I think I remember when I went to a restaurant. I was This is back when I was single, when I had written my first book, Taking Life Head On, which had my picture on it. And, you know, and uh I went to a restaurant and I went up to the, the, you know, our waiter or whatever. I got him like kind of behind the scenes and I'm like, Hey buddy. I was like, 
here's an autographed copy of my book. You know, I was like 25. And uh, I said, hey, this is a gift just for uh, a thank you in advance for giving us good service. And I genuinely thought, I'm like, oh, I, I, I would think that would be cool to get an autographed book, right? Well, this guy's like a bartender. He's like, what the, f- I don't read. And uh, I later found out a friend of mine that, that went there, I guess, uh, they somehow my name company's like, yeah, your friend's a douchebag. He, uh, <laughs> he gave me a copy of his book autographed and asked me for good service because of it. And I was like, oh, uh, I didn't realize I was not, you know, so yeah. So I mean, I, 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 I try not to judge people and just realize that where they're at in their life right now, you know, that that's where they're at, but. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I mean, an advanced copy of a book sounds like a nice gift, but for somebody who's constantly pitched in the media, it's you're just saying, hey, can you uh, file my taxes for me while you're at it? It's like, <laughs> no, I'm, I don't want this anywhere near me. I literally stopped giving away my address to publishers because I, I tell them, listen, I just want the media cheat sheet. No, I don't want the electronic version. I don't want the signed version. Um, and it's not because, like, again, I love having the books here. I give them all away. It's great, but I, I literally started to just feel bad that I was getting boxes and throwing those away and like the print, you know, the plastic wrapping and that was going in the garbage. And then this thing was sitting on the shelf till someone went, Oh, this looks interesting. And then I'm like, take it. You know, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to do that. Just the, the fuel and the postage cost is all wasted on me. And I don't want to read the digital copy either. I want you to tell me what you're going to teach my audience and then I'm going to Google you. And frankly, that, that not to get too much into my show prep, but I'm looking for controversy. I'm not looking for like, oh, you've got all this in your book? That's so great. That's what most shows do. I'm going to look at your one-star Amazon reviews and see the guy who goes, I'm an engineer and all the stuff he talked about in this book about technology is total BS and based on his sci-fi reading and not on reality. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up when you're on the show. So I don't need your media press release. That's another thing. Do not send me a press release. I will ban you. You will be spammed, filtered directly to the spam folder forever if you send me a lame press release. I do not need that. Uh, good shows have pitches every day, all day. Uh, smaller podcasts don't. They're looking for any author, anybody, anything. But bigger shows get pitched all day through their network, through people who are actually a good fit that are pre-vetted. A press release is kind of like... That's the digital equivalent or the pitch equivalent of one of those postcards that comes to your door that's like, dear California resident, open immediately, you know, urgent communication inside. (laughs) I don't ever open those. Those go into the garbage, obviously. And that's what press releases do too. So don't hire a PR person unless you are gonna spend a chunk of change and that person is a ninja and they're like, yeah, I've got a buddy at the New York Times who'd be into this. Those are the PR people you hire. Otherwise, do it all yourself. Yeah, and I don't know how yep. you feel. I mean, did you have ex- an experience with pro PR people other than your speed dating with talk shows? Uh, no, uh, yeah, and, and that came, you know, later. That came probably a year and a half after I had put the book out and done all the podcast interviews or a lot of them. Uh, so no, and I, I never used a publicist or PR person at, at all. And what I would advise people too, if you're listening, uh, I mean, I think that the important nugget that you gave is for people to basically if they're going to pitch it's pitching what value are you going to add to my audience what's the unique content that you're going to share um and i think that's you know it's not about no make it about you make it about the audience that you're trying to pitch to and then also i would encourage people to you know don't go after the art of charms and the you know the the big podcast start out with with the small podcast and a great way to find small but mighty podcast is go to the new and noteworthy section of itunes and those are new shows that just launched, right? They're, you know, they're in their first, I think it's eight weeks. 
but they're new. So they, you know, they don't have, they're not being pitched by a million people. Now, granted, there are probably other folks that are starting to pitch to them, but, but that's a great place to start is, is new and noteworthy. And then whenever you do a show, just make sure that you crush it, right? Bring a lot of energy, be dynamic. I mean, I think that's one of the most important components of being a great interviewee is just be dynamic. It doesn't even matter, you know, you just, if you're dynamic, you're engaging, you know, vocal variety, energy, et cetera do a great job and then ask them if they have any other, you know, friends in the podcasting space that, that you might be able to, to add value for. You know, you can ask them that. You don't have to ask. I wouldn't ask them at the end of the interview. You can, but I'd probably send an email afterwards thanking them. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Jordan, about asking for referrals after you do a great interview. Definitely you should, uh, because the person will feel compelled to give one generally. And also, we get so many, at least when I was first starting, now only, my guests are all vetted, but um, we get so many bad guests, and some of the shows you have to throw <laughs> away, especially when you're starting, you've gotta literally trash them, or you're airing them, and you're going, eh, this was okay. If someone comes in and just knocks the bottom out, just like, boom, drop the mic, and you're like, that guy was awesome, we want to refer you to other people anyway, because we're like, oh, I found this guy and he is awesome. I can't wait to release this. You know, they might give a referral after they release and that's fine because they want to be sort of the first people to sort of break or scoop, you know, drop the the interview. However, if if you do a really good job on my show, I'm going to introduce you to a bunch of other folks. And if you do a really good job on other people's shows and you don't ask for that referral, they're never going to introduce you to me because let's let's be honest. There's a little weird competition going on, even though podcasts are free, a lot of the thought leaders, they don't wanna make intros to some people, or or we have to ask for them, and we're already all busy. So if you ask for those referrals, you'll make the rounds on three or four big shows, and then you'd never have to do the smaller ones. Yeah. you know. And if you're doing the smaller ones, you can do dozens of smaller ones without having to pitch or email any of those guys. You know, you'll just, just get you introduced. You drop the name of the shows you've been on, the big ones. Well, yeah, and you, you ask for a warm introduction. You know, you do Joe Schmo's podcast, you knock it out of the park, you say, who else's show can I do? And he's like, oh, my sister, cousin, brother, uncle, aunt, and cousin all have one too. Well, great, get on those. If you're a new author, do 100 shows. Yeah. You know, you might as well. It'll build that platform you're talking about. Yeah, and like I said, so so many of the people that hear about the Miracle Morning that post in the community are are from shows that, I almost thought about not doing, you know, yeah. like, so, but there's also an element where like I, I've taken a chance on some podcast that I was on and I, I was his first, he reached out, I was his first episode and that podcast has blown up and that episode has gotten well over 10,000 downloads because the people fall in love with the podcast, they tend to go back to the first one. So that's kind of a cool thing where now I'm like, yeah, I'm down to be somebody's first podcast. Why mm -hmm. not? You know, and you know, you're taking a risk. Maybe their podcast doesn't ever get a big followership, but maybe it ends up like that. Uh, the one I just mentioned and and it does. Oh, Knowledge for Men, by the way. That's Andrew Farabee. That's the podcast right. that I was his first episode. And uh, now it's uh, gotten a big uh, audience. Yeah. It, it, I don't know if it still does. It might. I actually haven't checked it in a long time. But it's great to see that because people, I mean, people who've been on our show years and years and years ago, they still make sales from our show. It's nuts. People go back to the back catalog by the thousands yeah. every month. And I think I was episode, one of the very early episodes of, of that same show with Andrew, and people still say they found out about Art of Charm through that, which is kind of funny, because you'd think yeah. it'd be the other way around. Yeah, that's wild. So another component, so the podcast interviews, obviously blogs is, is another one that, you know, but it's, it's something that I'm not an expert in. Uh, I didn't focus on getting like guest blogs and, and posts, that sort of thing. But what I do, and, and what I encourage you to do is you've got to just constantly expand your platform. 
going back to the advice I got from Dan Kennedy years ago, which is really he means platform when he says the number one asset that you'll ever have is he called it your list back then, but it's really your platform. It's the amount of people who know, like, and trust you that you have a line of communication to. That's how I define a platform, right? The amount of people that know, like, and trust you that you have a direct line of communication to, whether that is, you know, um, sending an email or posting in the community or, or whatever it is. So for me, I launched a podcast uh, about a year and a half ago called Achieve Your Goals on iTunes. And so that's gotten up to, you know, tens of thousands of downloads a month. And that's grown. And a lot of people find out about my book through the podcast. So expanding the platform, continuing to do that. Um, I recently, uh, last year, started writing for entrepreneur.com. And again, you know, 100,000 people per article on average are reading the article and sharing the article. And so that's just continuously building your platform. And uh, that for you, you know, I, I encourage everybody to read the book Platform by Michael Hyatt. That's a great, great book on just how understanding a platform and how it works and how to build it and how to nurture it and grow it, etc. Um, and the other thing is speaking, you know, I, uh, maybe you don't want to be a speaker. But for me, I speak all over the country and, and now, you know, some international stuff. But that's also a way where I'm capturing the email addresses of the audience while I'm there. I've got a text opt in where people can opt in to get some free bonuses. And, you know, so I'm building my list that way. And, and then and then here's the thing, though, by the way, when you come out with anything, a new your first book. So if you build your platform in advance, come out with the first book, you've got an audience that's ready for it. But again, this is forever. You continue to expand and grow your platform. So when I put on my first live event in December, I had never put on a live event before, but I had, you know, tens of thousands of people in my audience and my community. And so we ended up having twice as many people at the event than I was hoping for. So again, it all boils down to to the size of your platform. And and when you have new books come out, you know, that list that you have of people that like you and know you and trust you that you can communicate with, they become your, your greatest asset. Excellent. Anything else? This has been pretty comprehensive. I like it. Of course, there's a lot of little nuanced details, but we can't get into everything in an hour. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could go into, you know, Facebook ads. I mean, there's a zillion different things, but those are the key components. If you follow, you know, in terms of the the content, create content around changing your behavior, build paying it forward into your book. By launching it, start building your platform now, create that community. I recommend Facebook groups and assemble a launch team to help you write reviews, promote the free chapters, and, and when the book comes out, promote that it's out. And then with ongoing marketing, podcast interviews has been the number one needle mover I've found for book sales. Uh, and then just continue to grow your platform. And, uh, you know, and I guess kind of a, a last something to consider is whether or not you self-publish or go with a traditional publisher. And I touched on that earlier, but I'll just, I'll just say one other thing on it in terms of the income that you're going to generate. Uh, if you don't have a big platform, the odds of you getting any kind of advance, let alone one that actually is significant for you, aren't very good. You know, if you've got, if you have an email list of 100,000 people, yeah, you could probably pull up, you know, 50 or $100,000 advance. But if you don't have that, then it's going to be an uphill battle. And so the other thing is, even if you get that advance, remember, they're just giving you an advance on royalties for the books that you're selling. And then your per book income is like 15% or, you know, like $2, 2 to $3 per book. If you self-publish, depending on the size of your book, I get $8 per book sold. So if you think about that, if you sell a thousand books to the traditional publisher, you're making $2,500. If you sell a thousand and you're self-published, you're making $8,000. And obviously that scales up, you know, pretty quickly the more books that you sell. So something to consider. And for me, I've, I've used Create Space, uh, which is Amazon's self-publishing arm. I've been really happy with them on a lot of fronts. I like the way they track, they report, they pay, uh, you know, and they, they, they give that, that nice percentage. So I just wanted to, uh, to squeeze that in before we wrapped up. Yeah. So you, you're choosing a revenue model versus like, 
hoping that your publisher shares enough to, to get you more of a platform? Because I guess it depends. If you want to be a thought leader only and you're, you're, you don't want to do any of the work yourself other than creating the initial platform and then, of course, creating the massive content that is a book and then doing some of the PR or if you're willing to take the whole thing into your own hands and get compensated for it accordingly by self-publishing and then promoting and marketing it yourself. Yeah, here's the thing is, and that's what people have to understand, and this is what led to my final decision initially to self-publish, is that if you're a new unproven author, you're going to have to do the majority, like 90% plus of the marketing anyway. If a major publisher picks you up, they're just taking a chance, letting you use their editors and their cover designers, which you can get all that done for, you know, for a few hundred bucks. Uh, but you're still going to have to do all the work. So that was kind of the end all be all. Is I thought, okay, I can either do, either way, I have to do most of the marketing. I'm either going to get two to three dollars a book, or I'm going to get, you know, seven to, to nine dollars a book. Uh, either way, the, the majority of marketing falls on my lap. So that's something to consider when you're uh, making that decision. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So are there any advantages then to going with a traditional publisher that you can talk about? I mean, you get, you know, you, you have the potential to get distribution or you, there's the distribution channels that you can take advantage of, such as getting in a bookstore. I don't know the exact number of how many books were published last year, but the amount of shelf space in a bookstore is nil. And, uh, and I've talked to, you know, I've talked to friends that are with Penguin and with some major traditional publishers, and I don't want to bag on a traditional publisher. I mean, like, there are pros. One of them is, you know, there's some credibility attached with having your name. You know, I'm, I'm with Simon and Schuster, that sort of thing. And it just depends. Every deal is different. So if you've got some leverage, you've got a platform, you've got, you know, some, some ways that you can show that you're going to sell the book, which is what publishers really care about. They don't want to risk their money on someone that has a cool idea that may or may not take hold in the marketplace. So, but if you've got the leverage, right, you can see out what you're worth out there in the, in the publishing world, the traditional publishing world, and see what you can get. And if you, and if you want the credibility and having that major top five New York publisher on the spine of your book, if that's really what you value and you could care less about you know, making any money or making much money on the book, uh, then there's definitely some of those advantages of traditional publishing. But, uh, but I think that if you weigh, outweigh the pros and the cons, you know, for the, for the majority of, of folks, you know, going with self-published uh, is, is advantageous. But I mean, I have friends that, you know, they, they're getting million dollar advances because they've got huge platforms, you know? Yeah. But, but without a huge platform, the odds of that happening aren't very good. What kind of platform do you need to get a seven-figure advance, have you seen, in your experience, you know, during right, research? So, I'm glad you asked that. So I, um, I guess I can share this as long as nothing is specific. My strategy was I'm going to make the Miracle Morning blow up. You know, we've sold around 70,000 copies. It's growing every month. Build a platform, build an audience. My email list when I launched the book had 14,000 uh, subscribers. Now we have 55,000 subscribers. I had no Facebook group. Now I have 15,000 active members. So I'm going to tell you what I just got with my platform. Okay. With all of that, the sales, the leverage, the 900 five-star reviews on Amazon, the platform, all of that with the Miracle Morning, I just met with 16 publishers. I had phone meetings with 16 publishers, major, including all the top five major publishers, uh, stateside, you know, uh, in the U.S. and international. And the advances that I got, they capped out at $250,000. Wow. So, yeah. After two and a half, yeah, yeah, and for me, I was like, if it's you know, that doesn't make sense <laughs> financially. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I, and I was surprised. I mean, we, my my agent thought we could get a seven figure advance, and you know that it is what it is. So, something to think so about. So, generally, you it might be lower than you think. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, most most publishers now don't give advances anymore. Advances have kind of dried up. You know, it's it, the, they they just basically are taking a chance. They're going to have to invest the money and time in getting your book proofread and edited and designed and you know put to market and all of that. And that's basically what they're risking is all wasting any time doing that and money and energy. You know, you might if you have a little platform, you can get a five or ten thousand dollar advance. You know, so. But the economics don't really make sense. And that's why a lot of these big authors, I think it was James Altucher that, you know, said he'll never go with a traditional publisher again. And this is a guy that sold, you know, like 300,000 copies of his, his of Choose Yourself of his new book, which he, I believe that one is the first one he self-published. Uh, I think I think Seth Godin was another one that said he wouldn't go traditional. But you find people that, you know, Tim Ferriss, obviously, I'm sure, he, you know, he's he's traditionally published and seems really happy. And, you know, so it, it, it's each their own. But again, it's the platform. It's what leverage do you have now? to put time and energy into going after a major publisher for, you know, may or may not be able to get an advance. And then you still have to do most of the work anyway, and you're going to make money, uh, less money per copy sold. Excellent. Thanks so much, Al. This has been really informative. I know a lot of people looking for launch advice and book publishing advice in general are really going to find this a treasure trove because nobody's really talking about this stuff, at least not yeah. candidly. Sure. No, I appreciate the the opportunity to share. And I, uh, you know, again, it's back to paying it forward. I, I've that's why I've been evaluating it because I want to be able to help other people get their message out there and, and not just fall into a program where you pay $1,000 to learn how to hit the bestseller list at two o'clock in the morning while everybody else is sleeping and no one's buying books because you and your family stay up late and buy them. You know, it's right. like I, I want to make sure people really understand how do you write a book that creates an income and an impact, you know, for, for other people. So thanks, Jordan, for having me. I appreciate Thank it. Thank All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoy this, don't forget to thank Hal on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as all the other resources mentioned on the show. I also post a lot on Twitter, stuff that never makes it to the show, articles, insights, and other things like that at The Art of Charm. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. And our bootcamp details, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Remember, we're sold out six months in advance. So if you're even thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP to get some info from us so you can plan ahead. And on the website, we've got our blog with a lot of amazing articles and bonus episodes that aren't released in the iTunes feed for those of you who just can't get enough AOC. Remember, subscribe in iTunes, review us in iTunes, and when you write a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast, go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or share it on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. Podcast.